Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, March 23rd, 2018. Uh, joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, Gabby, and Elliot. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. Hey. Hello. All right. So our topic today is not to get drastic, but the plastic is making us spastic. <laughs> so we will pat ourselves on the back for a clever pun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, we want to start today's show with a short clip, so let's do that, and then we'll, we'll come right back and get started. The Earth doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic. Plastic came out of the Earth. The Earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children. Could be the only reason the Earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. Didn't know how to make it. Needed us could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, why are we here? Plastic. Assholes. So, so, the plastic is here, our job is done, we can be phased out now, and I think that's really started already, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, George. That speaks to my uh, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the idea of what is natural. So, mm-hmm. you know, is, is stuff that humans make that we call unnatural, is it actually natural because we're part of the environment? You know, mm-hmm. like our city's natural the same way that uh, anthills and, and such are. But um, anyway, a that's a topic. Question. Yeah. Well, we can go I was about to go riff on it, but. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, I was just thinking like, I, I just I wonder if there's like a line, you know what I mean? Like certain things are natural. You know, if you build a house out of, <clears throat> you know, relatively, well, it's hard to talk about it without using the loaded term, but like with using natural materials, you know, is that more natural than if you're using things that, you know, are more synthesized? You know, I, I don't know where the line is. So it's, it, it is actually very difficult to kind of talk about it. Like I would say that GMOs crosses a line. Because yeah. those are no longer natural. You're actually messing with the genetic code, like the code that, you know, was naturally a part. It's hard to say this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's like that was naturally part of nature, yeah. you know, and you're actually taking that code and you're messing with it like that. I, I think that kind of crosses the line, but I don't know. Like, could you say glyphosate? Is could you sure? say plastic? Because plastic. it is petroleum based. Question. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I think it, in my mind, at least where I'm, where I'm at right now is the idea that um, stuff that wouldn't otherwise be made, you know, if, if we didn't reconstitute base elements, kind of, if that makes sense. So yeah. you could you can argue that humans are part of the natural world and the whole discussion of cities and stuff is interesting. But when you really get down to it, yeah, we're taking stuff out of the ground using chemistry to distill it or what, however it happens, and then, you know, reconstituting something else. At that point, you might call it unnatural. Yeah. So, I don't know. Or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe responsibility comes uh, has a very important role because, yes, stuff that man has made has made our life much more comfortable and easier. But mm-hmm. when you see that there is an entire continent in the ocean made out of plastic, yeah. That feels yeah. more than unnatural. <laughs> that feels unnatural, yeah. I sure. think the line mm-hmm. is, does it do harm to humans or the environment? That's the yeah. line. And if you cross that yeah. line, then you're naughty. <laughs> well, it's tricky. 
Because I think some things that, you know, we can think of as being kind of natural still might do some sort of harm, at least to the immediate environment. Like they might not have planet-wide consequences or something, but, uh, you know, just building like a village, let's say, of like 500 people. Well, I mean, there's going to be waste produced. There's going to be, you know, all kinds of, you know, you're cutting down forest or something like that to make room. So it's kind of like what exactly is harm and what isn't harm. But we need some place to live. We need yeah. shelter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's a, there's going to be waste whether we live in a house or not. You have yeah. to poop somewhere. Yeah. You got to <laughs> poop somewhere. That's the thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you could like, it's pretty complex because you could say like, yeah, hemp uh, bricks, which they make now and you can make your house out of hemp bricks. It's like extremely mm-hmm. resilient. And um, I don't know if it's necessarily affordable yet, but you would call that natural, but you know, it requires technology to make. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Again, where's but then the there's also those like the earthship houses where they like take old tires and like fill them with sure. stuff. And yeah. Make, you know, but that's considered like a relatively um, environmentally friendly, at least, um, building uh, method. Yeah. Well, that's kind yeah. of the whole concept of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm. So those mm. earthships, like I've seen them made with um, clay or like hay and clay mix and then uh glass bottles Mm -hmm. but it's not like it's just bare tires that are your walls they're surrounded by like a clay or a sod mix Mm -hmm. so you don't have to smell like tires in your house sure but uh i think it's using the tires is a good way to recycle old stuff that we don't use for anything else but tires themselves are useful just imagine all the automobiles and all the convenience that that <laughs> conveys. But that's what I mean. I mean, how ma- what percentage of, like, tires are being used for earthships and what Not percentage many. just end up in, you know, off in a dump somewhere and, like, You're you know, burnt. very slowly um, kind of degrading and poisoning. Well, they the burn them, like Jonathan yeah. was saying, at least in the yeah, U.S. they do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We had actually on the 4th of July a few years ago, a neighbor was burning a bunch of tires and everybody thought in the neighborhood thought that a house was on fire and ran over there. Mm. It smelled awful for like three days. But what yeah. makes plastic so bad is right. that it's used in billions of products and a lot of times it's used just once and thrown away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and also the the problem is, is that it doesn't technically degrade uh, for a very long time anyway. So mm-hmm. it may seem like it's degrading. It may sort of fall apart. It becomes really brittle. Um, but actually it's not being degraded. It's just falling apart into lots of really tiny, tiny pieces that your eye mm-hmm. can't really see. Um, and so that is kind of causing a, a big problem for humans and for other animals and I guess for the planet in general. Um, yeah, I think because, you know, in in the sea for instance, there's a hell load of plastic which is like dissolved into tiny pieces that n- the animals can't see, sea life can't see. And so these guys are like swallowing this stuff and it's becoming mm-hmm. accumulated in, into their tissues and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's not nurdles. That's actually oh, the technical wow. name for it, a nurdle, which is a like microplastic. Microplastic, yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people may not be like. 
if you were to ask around, I think most people are aware, yeah, I've heard of some giant plastic island in the ocean where all the bags go. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know that yet, but I think it's fairly commonly known, at least like in the back of your mind. But what is less commonly known is what Elliot was referring to, which is this, it's everywhere. It's in the whole ocean in microscopic particles. And on land. Yeah. yeah. And in the air. Right. There's like clouds so You cannot stuff. literally go anywhere in the world to avoid it. It's everywhere. No. no. So we're, we're actually totally like screwed. covered in it. It's in your and house. It's everywhere. Actually, yeah. Like even I was, I was really surprised actually in, in doing research for the show and like finding out that one big expeller of like plastic into the air is actually people's dryers. Like people take what? their their clothes and they like you know if they're made of like a synthetic kind of material, they stick it in the dryer. And you know there's the lint trap, but that doesn't catch everything. Like if it's a really small particle, it'll get through that no problem. And then that gets expelled. Like it just gets expelled into the air. So we're like, yeah, like every time anybody's drying clothes, you've got plastic like flying out into the air. And isn't yeah. polyester essentially plastic? Probably. Yeah, fleece. I mean, I, I remember when I learned that, that it blew my mind. That, and I mean, I guess maybe that's also commonly known, but it blew my mind that fleece is made of recycled plastic. Um, what so. clothing, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's so comfortable. I know. <laughs> it's so soft. You just hold, hold the lighter to it. Let's see, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll I mean, never wear fleece yeah. again. <laughs> I'll never dry my clothes again. <laughs> Hang them to dry. It's a responsible thing to do. It's it's crazy though. Like if you just kind of like even just look around right now around you and realize how much plastic you're actually surrounded by, it's actually kind of crazy. Like plastic yeah. is huge. You know, I yeah. remember there was that that um, remember the movie The Graduate. Anyway, there's a scene in that movie. It's like it's from like the 1960s or 70s or something like that. And uh, at one one point, it's like basically about a guy who doesn't know what to do once he's graduated um, university. And uh, one guy like kind of comes up to him and he's like, let me tell you something. The future is plastics. And like, you know, it's kind of a comical scene. But at the same time, it's kind of like he was right. It's yeah. totally like we are surrounded by plastic. If you got in on the ground floor of plastic, you're, oh, like, man. you're laughing. Yeah, totally. That's a really good point, though, because, you know, I'd, I'd ask every listener of this show today to look around the room that they're sat in, because I'm looking around mine right now, and I swear, most of it's plastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, half of the stuff plastic, even, even my clothes, like you just said, yeah. you know, polyester, and it's probably, uh, some of it's cotton, the rest of it's probably just recycled plastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas you go back sort of 100 years ago, and it wouldn't have been like that. I mean, that's a really crazy thing. That it is really huge. Yeah. Wow, my vaporizer is made out of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> computer, the computer mouse. It's yeah. Plastic. We'll even get down to, um, you know, stuff that people use and ingest on purpose, like cooking utensils and stuff, a lot of those. Now, granted, more stuff now is silicone. Um, if you're looking at that, like, you know, the big box stores and you're looking at kitchen stuff. Uh, but for the longest time, I used plastic spatulas and stuff like that. It's awful, you know. And over time, you can see they melt and they get flat yeah. on the end of the spatula, and it just doesn't cross your mind. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm eating that. Yeah. yeah. Well, just think of the whole Tupperware revolution too. You know, yeah. 
before Tupperware, it was like mason jars or glass was used or even, yeah. you know, some sort of metal or copper. And then all of a sudden this Tupperware revolution came around and everyone has Tupperware. Yeah. But yeah. we don't call it Tupperware anymore. What's it called? That's old fashioned. <laughs> I still call them Tupperwares. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> So let's let's talk a little bit about the constituents uh, and get kind of sciencey for a minute. So uh, BPA, I'm gonna talk about like what yeah. what actually is BPA. So bisphenol A mm-hmm. um, is a chemical that's used to harden plastics. So that's yeah. that's the whole thing. And I'm sure everybody, probably everybody in the world, at least everybody in like the United States and Europe, has heard the term BPA free. It's like the yeah. it's so overplayed now. I mean, I get it and I like it, you know, I'm looking for BPA free stuff, but it's, I think it's turned into a buzzword because nobody knows what the hell BPA actually is, you know, well, it's just a bad plastic thing. It's so, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, essentially it's an endocrine disruptor, right? right? So that means that like it is a, an estrogen mimicker. So it basically will mimic estrogen in the body. So, you know, all the you know, receptors that you have in the body um, that are meant to, you know, receive uh, estrogen will actually receive the BPA instead. Mm. So that essentially increases, like, you know, the the estrogen. Um, let's go to Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> What's an endocrine disruptor estrogen mimicker? Yeah, no, that that was that was basically correct. Um, so the idea is is that you supposedly got these receptors which have a specific shape or whatever they say, um, and it basically when estrogen comes along, estrogen's a hormone. It comes along to the target area and it attaches to the receptor on the cell. And so then what that will typically do is initiate a cascade of responses which will up- upregulate the transcription of certain genes or downregulate the transcription of other genes and basically perform a specific function. Yeah. And so what happens is, is what BPA does um, is it can essentially exert the same effects that estrogen can affect on those receptors. So Hmm. even if you don't have a lot of estrogen circulating around, like your body says, actually, I don't really need that much estrogen, um, but you are exposed to plastics, then the BPA is essentially going to act like an estrogen in your body and your cells are going to respond in the same way that they would um, as if you you had loads of estrogen flowing around. And I think it was first used as that, uh, BPA in the 1950s, if I'm remembering correctly. I thought it was an antibiotic. It, or maybe I'm mixing it up with something else. That um, it was used for hormone regulation until they found it had uh, pretty bad results. Hmm. Mm. Didn't, so, Elliot, I think if they you found out that if you put like breast, uh, well, you know, cell lines from the breast, they will become cancerous and then they determined that it was the BPA on the plastic where they were the holder of the cells made out of plastic. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, um, Elliot, if you can, what, what does the body do when it thinks there's a lot of estrogen but there's not actually? What happens there? Well, I guess it would depend on the context. 
that's um, but but um, I, I guess you have to look at like the fundamental roles that estrogen plays. So it's involved in like the growth, like in in a woman's menstrual cycle, estrogen is involved in the growth of their uh, endometrial tissue, uh, which is basically like the lining of the um, of the the reproductive tract. Uh, it's it's what women when when they have a period they shed this extra tissue the the blood and the stuff that comes out when a woman has a period that has been grown at a stage in the in the menstrual cycle because of the effects of estrogen. Hmm. So estrogen has a has its its fundamental message is to grow tissue, is to suppress other other functions but to promote the growth, um, and that's really useful for like a woman's period or. Um, you know, in pregnancy or in other um, scenarios, but when when that happens chronically, like when when that's not an endogenous thing, so your body's not deciding that it wants it. Say there's some external factor which has that estrogenic effect, um, then what it can essentially do is it can. It, I mean, as Gabby just says, you know, it, you can cause uh, cancer directly by an estrogenic substance because it, I mean, if you look at what it does to the mitochondria, it increases um, oxidative phosphorylation, but really, really, really fast. So it's like it, it increases energy production um, at rapid speeds so that the tissue can grow, but the tissue can't do much else at that point. Um, mm. And so, uh, yeah, without going into loads of detail, it, it basically it's just it's growth of tissue. And so you don't really want that all of the time. Like if you're a female, yeah, okay, you want that once every month, but you don't want that 24-7. And if you're a male, I mean, you definitely don't want that um, because what it's not anabolic. You... Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, what if you're a little girl and you don't want to have menstruations? <laughs> Eight years yeah, old. Yeah, Exactly. You know, if you don't want to come on to puberty when you're like seven years old, then it's no good. But the yeah. xenoestrogens can have the the same effect to initiate a early stage puberty. You know. I wonder. So that one of the other articles that we were reading for the show today was about uh, phthalates. Is that phthalates or phthalates? So it's. I think it's phthalates. Phthalates. P H T H A L A T E. Phthalates. Um, yeah, phthalate, or ph- you got to say the F, phthalate. Yeah, phthalate. All, right. <laughs> All together now. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, the, a recent study at uh, now I think that this has been like published in other areas too. Don't quote me on that, but the recent study of the at the University of, of Rochester found that phthalates, uh, which is found in vinyl and plastics, tends to feminize quote unquote boys. Uh, altering their brains to express more feminine char- characteristics. Um, and I've, I've heard, uh, I know I've mentioned on the show before, this guy, Dr. Tent, he's a naturopath chiropractor from Michigan, uh, near Detroit. And he talks about this and uh, he has a talk called, like, Where Did All the Men Go? And it's about that and about the the altering of the, um, you know, the basic biochemistry of the human genders uh, through you know, corruption by these chemicals in our environment. And so, you know, we can narrow it down to what we're talking about. It basically, I'm just trying to like make this simple for the layperson to think about, cause it's, it's hard for me to think about too. Like, what do you mean 
this feminizes men. I don't get it. Why, you know, why doesn't it masculinize women? You know, so Mm. (laughs) I think it's important to delve into it and understand what the, uh, the components are. So it's very interesting. I think that we see that it's invading the body kind of like a Trojan horse and then mimicking our Mm. quote unquote natural processes. LOL. Well, and also there's a documentary out, I think it's about 45 minutes called the, uh, the disappearing male. Yeah. And it was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of research done again in Rochester because they were having a high incidence of miscarriages and a lot of baby boys not being born, um, killing of sperm up to 50%. And it, I mean, this documentary was made, I think, 10 or 15 years ago, but it's very scary to just hear these scientists talk about it and how. You know, like just what you're saying, the disappearing male, like that lack of wanting to do rough house playing, like they even did studies where boys were more drawn to like dolls or not quote unquote boy toys. So it's it's really disturbing, actually. You don't yeah, even that, have to look at the science. You can just look around you today. I mean, sure. let's let's be honest. I mean, seriously, how many... Gays, or okay, how many feminine men are there now, or how many transgender folk are there now? You know, mm-hmm. how many how many men walk around wearing makeup? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty, and that wasn't happening back then. I guess you could say that is lots of different factors. You know, there's all these other influences, but I would, you know, it seems it seems kind of rational to go along with the idea that maybe the plastic is probably having some effect. Well, yeah. yeah. Phthalates or phthalates are anti-androgenic, so that would explain why boys are acting more like girls or they have more features that are feminized, but it also causes delayed puberty, falling sperm count, shrunken genitals, not just in boys, but in males of all species, Uh, genetic or genital deformities. Um, I think there was... A lot of articles that were on site about how frogs or, change sexes, yeah, amphibians yeah. changing sexes and becoming hermaphroditic because of all the chemicals that are in water supply. Yeah, For it's me, crazy too, because the, the dropping sperm counts are like actually quite disturbing. Because I mean, basically, there's there's kind of a uh, fertility crisis going on right now where, you know, more and more people who are trying to conceive actually aren't able to. And there was an article on SOT a while ago called um, Men's Sperm Counts Are Dropping and Scientists Puzzled As to Why. You know, they never they never seem to make this connection. But um, there was, uh, they, they quoted it, it said that, um, uh, that sperm count in men residing in developed countries has dropped a whopping 50% in the last 40 years. So 50%, like that's just insane. And of course, you know, scientists say, you know, "Ah, we don't know what the hell's going on. It's like, well, you know, if you're looking at things outside your own domain, like, you know, this, it kind of seems obvious. You've got all these feminizing chemicals just like floating around. You know, of course, that's going to have a pretty detrimental effect on sperm production. So yeah, it, and if it's just been going on for 50 years, you can't blame the cell phones. Men putting <laughs> cell phones no. in their pockets, though, so that does and have an on uh, You could blame glyphosate, though. But it's that combination, too, that combination of, you know, like Tiffany was saying with the amphibians and stuff, it's the combination of those plastic 
phthalates or mm-hmm. BPA and things like glyphosate or herbicides or insecticides. So it's those really small, minute amounts that people aren't testing for, right? It's that, um, I can't remember what they call it, inert ingredients. Well, in yeah. that documentary, The Disappearing Mail, they were talking about some town in Canada. I forgot the name, but uh, I think it was a large native population. They lived near a factory that made plastics, and it was putting out a bunch of chemicals. And they were noticing over the years that fewer boys were born. There's usually like a roughly 50-50 split between boys and girls being born, and it was a drastic reduction in the number of boys that people were having. Women mm. were having. <laughs> well, when when the um, if if I understand this correctly, um, when the the baby or the the fetus is like growing, it's initially female, and it's a surge of testosterone which masculinizes the the fetus to to essentially cause it to transition from a female to a male. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some, I remember reading a book, it was um, by a neuroscientist called Jack Panksepp. It was called Archaeology of Mind. Um, and he just mentioned it in passing, but it was an interesting um, piece of information. He was talking about how um, various plastics um, and, and the compounds found in plastics like BPA and things um, what what happens when a child or a baby is developing in the womb is that the nervous system and the um, and the the body so the central nervous system and then the rest of the organs develop along two different separate tracks um, and and he was saying that basically I can't remember the exact details but he was talking about how the the surge of testosterone essentially masculinizes the body and then i think it masculinizes the brain afterwards but i may have got that the wrong way around and so what can happen is is that what what he theorizes anyway and i think it kind of makes sense is that if a, a woman who is pregnant has a child who's developing in the um in the womb and they they have the initial surge of testosterone, which sort of crystallizes the um, the sex of the body. So say it, it crystallizes or it solidifies that this individual, this baby is going to be born a male in terms of their body. But if if there's exposure to excessive plastics and, and xenoestrogens from the environment, then that can um, almost um, stop that that testosterone's effect on the brain so so mm-hmm. the um so you're saying about how someone may be born a male but actually have more of a female brain because yeah. of the disruption yeah. and so he he theorizes that this may be one of the reasons why we see so many you know transgender folk these days is because maybe mm-hmm. you know there is a part of them that does feel like they're female because maybe they actually have disrupted uh, nervous systems, you know? That's the, mm. one, that's the one thing that I found more interesting while preparing for this show, that apparently scientists claim that the brain is the most sensitive organ to these BPA and these, you know, endocrine disruptors. 
So that is why it's associated with ADHD. But that mm-hmm. concept of more like gender fluidity, it's also very interesting mm-hmm. from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of they, well, they don't call them gender benders for nothing, do they? <laughs> <laughs> It's well, a one feminist conspiracy thing. to get rid of males. Uh, yeah. Plastic. Yeah. The feminist invented plastic, is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the quote-unquote regulation of these <laughs> What materials. regulation? Yeah, there is yeah, exactly. Yeah. 99% of the population has BPA in their bloodstream and body. Yeah. Yeah, they found it in women's um, umbilical cords as well. Mm-hmm. There was right. a study where they they tested uh, women's umbilical cords, and all of them had like BPA. It was it, there yeah. were, there wasn't a subject who didn't have it. It's insane. Yeah. And well, actually, while we're talking about BPA, I just wanted to to mention one thing. Um, yeah. You know, you see a lot of the the labels and stuff that say BPA free. Um, in many cases, and I mean not all cases, obviously, there might be some good companies out there that have done their due diligence, but. A lot of these companies are just replacing the BPA with stuff that is so structurally similar, it may as well be it be the same thing. Yeah, like it's called BPS called, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's another one, well, too, you, called BP something else. You got to harden the plastic somehow, so that's the concept. Yeah, yeah you got to yeah, use the plastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's BPS, BH, PF, yeah. uh, BPRs. BPPs, and they're all just BPPs. as bad. Some of them can be even worse than BPA. Yeah, BPS wow. I think is worse. It's like yeah. easier absorbed or something like that. Yeah, 19 like, times more absorbable than BPA, and it doesn't <laughs> biodegrade as much as BPA doesn't biodegrade. Yeah. Uh, we're not using... Aver- what, what, sorry, go ahead. Like, just going to say they're like basically they're advertising oh yeah this is bpa free and everybody's all happy about that but meanwhile it's something that's 19 times more absorbable and doesn't degrade as quickly as bpa like what a scam jesus yeah so how can how can you find that out i mean is it possible to like to say i get like a yeti mug and the lid says bpa free like can i find out if it really has other bpxs in it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Well, you can look on the bottle, the bottom of the bottle that you're using. I mean, we shouldn't be using plastic to store stuff in anyway. But if you do, if you look on the bottle and they have the little recycle triangle on there, and if it has a three or a seven on the bottom, that's probably bad. Okay, sure. <laughs> what? Check them. Well, I mean, it's. I, I feel like personally I have an intuitive understanding not to use thin plastics. But, for instance, I do, like, we get our water from a, a well that comes out of the ground. So we just go out to this spot in the woods and fill up big Culligan water jugs. So they're like the five-gallon jugs. They are plastic. They say BPA-free on them, you know, but I'm wondering. <clears throat> over. T- I keep them out of the light, and I'll try to do, like, what I can. Uh, but I've thought uh, many times about just switching to using Glass, glass, but of course, you know, five gallon glass carboys are pretty heavy, so that's like, and so it's dragging. dangerous, right? Yeah, you might cut yourself, yeah, <laughs> cancer or a cut. Um, I'm with you, Jonathan. I think storing it in there is not a good idea, yeah, yeah, Especially, gotta figure out you know, the off gassing. I don't know, that's just my theory, 
But yeah, if anyone goes to buy anything at a grocery store, what are the odds that it's not going to be in some sort of plastic? Yeah. Uh, very Slim small. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, microwavable dinners are in plastic, you know? It's like, yeah. it's not enough that it's in yeah. plastic. It's like, let's heat it in the plastic. Yeah. It's worse because the heat actually leaches the BPA much easier into your body. Yeah, totally. Well, and they, um, you know, if you've ever gotten a meal from a restaurant, it comes in a styrofoam box, you know, and then you look mm-hmm. in there and it's a hot meal and it's melted the styrofoam onto your food. You know, I've, I've eaten that in the past. Uh, and it's sweating yeah, so on the inside awful. as well. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. Or coffee, coffee and styrofoam cups. Come on. Well, even back to the regulation. So Canada actually, I think, was the first that kind of started to try and regulate. And I want to say the European Union, too. But, um, you know, again, like 10 years ago, it was the baby bottles were the big. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, I think, where people's awareness of BPA came into play was the baby bottles. But the FDA in the United States just keeps saying, oh, you know, there's no documentation. But if you listen to the Disappearing Mail documentary, they talk about how, well, guess who funds the studies? Is mm-hmm. industry yeah. Yeah. studies, uh, in particular, American Chem- Chemistry Council. Yeah. Well, one of the only reasons that they started uh, getting rid of the BPA in baby bottles is because parents got upset about it and they demanded it. It's not because the FDA did anything about it. Yeah. Which yeah. they won't do right. because they are lobbied by the chemical industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were saying like well, pacifiers too, like the part that the baby actually sucks on is no longer BPA, but all the surrounding <laughs> parts. And if anyone's ever seen a baby, it's not like they're only sucking on the plastic sucky part. They're like got the whole thing in their mouth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Let me read from uh, this article about the FDA and BPA. Uh, It says, buried in the report summary that the FDA released is an excuse admission from the FDA that in in essence its hands are tied. So this is the statement. Current BPA food contact uses were approved under food additive regulations issued more than 40 years ago. This regulatory structure limits the oversight and flexibility of FDA Once a food additive is approved, any manufacturer of food or food packaging may use the food additive in accordance with the regulation. There is no requirement to notify FDA of that use. Uh, My addition here, uh, uh, you know, assuming that's because it was previously approved, so then they they say they don't care anymore. So um, says, for example, today there exist hundreds of different formulations for BPA containing epoxy linings, which have varying characteristics. As currently regulated, manufacturers are not required to disclose to FDA the existence or nature of these formulations. Furthermore, if FDA were to decide to revoke one or more approved uses, they would then need to undertake what could be a lengthy process of rulemaking to accomplish this goal. So they're saying, we already told everybody it's cool. It's going to take too long for us to go back on that. Uh, So we're just going to kind of keep going the way it was. I think that's essentially what it's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Public is not happy about that, though. Yeah, those who know, anyway. There was one uh, scientist who was talking about how the current way that they kind of um, determine whether or not something is toxic is through a very specific method, and it's if it has, like, you know, DNA-altering capabilities. 
and that the endocrine disruptors are different because they actually, you know, they're affecting the endocrine system, they're affecting hormones. Um, so in, in a way, it's kind of like, I, I can't remember the analogy you used. It was something like, you know, if you have a sore throat, you go to see a foot doctor. It's kind of like, well, you know, they're not, they're not looking for that or anything like that. They might, you know, fix your feet, but they're not going to do anything for your actual throat. You know, the idea is just that, you know, all the toxicologists or whatever it is that they have looking at this sort of thing just are not aware and aren't trained in this kind of aspect of things. So it's kind of like, nah, it's fine. You know, it's totally cool. It doesn't affect DNA. We're cool. Mm-hmm. Everything they, in the environment affects DNA. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, in a lot of these studies, they use adult participants and they are better at eliminating BPA. Though not very good, considering that 90% of people have BPA in their body. But they don't test any of their compounds on things that are, are in the process of growing. Because that's I, unethical. Yeah, growing <laughs> growing people or growing animals because they know it's going to disrupt. And they don't want that to show in their studies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's so kind of infuriating about the whole thing because... As we've talked about many times on the show, you know, this whole pro-vaccine thing or the whole anti-smoking campaign. And, you know, you never go to your doctor with a child that may have undescended testes and they say, well, you should really cut out plastic. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like it's not even on anybody's radar. And that is like a huge public health issue. I mean, huge. Especially when everything in the doctor's office is <laughs> plastic, in the, yeah. the tracheal tubes, uh, IV linings. <laughs> Even in drugs, right? In vitamins is plasticizers and softeners. and Yeah, they use yeah. Uh, phthalates to make the enteric coatings on certain medicines. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I know there are supplements that are enteric coated out there. Mm-hmm. Um, certain probiotics, certain... Um, what are they called? The protein digesting enzymes um, will have an enteric coating on them. And I don't know if they have found some sort of alternative to phthalates. I kind of doubt it. I think they're probably using the same thing the pharmaceutical companies are. One of one of the main sources of BPA, which I was – one of my lecturers told me about this last year, and I was shocked, um, was actually receipts. Yeah. So, like, they are actually loaded with it. And as soon as you pick up the receipt, then that stuff is, like, directly on your skin. And my lecturer, she specializes in this, and she was basically talking about how this is, like, theorized to be one of the main exposures, <laughs> like, aside from everything else. <laughs> like, just stop getting the receipts or use a cloth or something. That's what she says. Oh, reintroduce the fashion of globes but if they're made out of plastic that doesn't quite work I'm on a BPA (laughs) receipt free diet (laughs) yeah your cashier is going to give you weird looks if you put on gloves to take the receipt from it yeah (laughs) well no that's that's interesting because it seems like a super OCD thing to do right and it probably would be for most people but in the case I have read about um, people who are undergoing cancer treatments wearing gloves when they say pump gas or do certain mm-hmm. things <clears throat> to cut down on that exposure uh, because you do get it and if you're healing you need to cut down on it so yeah it wouldn't be that crazy for somebody who's actually suffering yeah. from you know an illness of some kind to protect mm-hmm. themselves from that or just decline the receipt i mean you know the irs has your information anyway you don't need those <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. No, you do. Go ahead and tell the tax man that. Yeah, when you get audited, I'm allergic to BPA. Yeah, that's perfect. There's a medical exemption from saving your receipts. I love it. Um. But yeah, I mean, you can, <clears throat> in a lot of contexts now, you can go, you know, paperless, you know, for those things. Or if you're, you know, if you're using like a debit card at the store, um, you have those transactions online. So if you're really concerned about that, you can go no receipt. Um, and if it's, re- I was going to ask Elliot, did it seem like one of those things where it was like a really overblown, cautious statement? Or was she like very level-headed saying you really shouldn't be touching receipts? She was pretty serious about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's got multi, I mean, she's, she's got so many qualifications, I don't even know what she's got, but she knows a lot, basically, and she was completely level-headed about it, and I was under the impression that she doesn't touch her receipts, so... <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. As, as a bit of a, you know, um, caveat, that's what I was looking for. As a bit of a caveat to that, there are, it's not all receipts. Um, I remember I was working in a store when this whole kind of controversy came up and, um, at the store, they looked into it to see if the receipt person, you know, company that they were going with had, um, BPA in it and they did not. So I don't think it's like, it's not every single receipt, but, um, I think it's a lot of them. It was better be on the safe side and just don't touch the receipts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> use, use tweezers to take the receipt. <laughs> Well, one thing that really ticked me off uh, reading about this is the plastics that are in women's feminine hygiene products, Mm. like tampons that have the applicator with the the plastic around it, and that's in your vagina for several days a month, every month, for years and years and years, and also the plastics that are used in the sanitary pads and the the vagina is very absorbent the skin in there and you're absorbing all these chemicals through your vagina and it's really really scary but there was a experiment i think it was on mercola.com where one of his researchers took two different types of sanitary pads one was an always brand infinity pad and the other was a natural cotton GMO free pad and they put them in these white bowls and they set them on fire and the the organic cotton pad it just burned you know and the always brand pad was setting off this black smoke like if you throw a piece of plastic on a bonfire you know that black smoke that comes off and it totally blackened the white bowl that it was in Okay, I'm going to spend more money on those organic pads for now on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Like a tire well, it fire. makes you wonder about this, and maybe Elliot has some more to share about this, but the whole incidence of cervical cancer and mm-hmm. all these different, you know, reproductive organ cancers that are happening at a rapid well, growing rate. Yeah, well... I- it makes sense that one of the main things that comes to mind like with cervical cancer is the fact that um, aside from the plastics that mm-hmm. a lot of the tampons um, are generally made from cotton and cotton, cotton is heavily sprayed with glyphosate 
Um, mm. And also, I mean, I guess when you think of these plastics and all of this other crap, you, when you put it directly into, say, the vagina, like you have to understand that the cells that line the vagina or the tissue is like highly absorbent. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's called epithelial tissue, but you really don't want, you, you, you don't want that stuff up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just well, it's to say the, the same least. kind of tissue that's in your mouth, basically. And you can deliver drugs sublingually without mm-hmm. even swallowing it. Just put it in your mouth and let it dissolve under your tongue. So, well, you can do the that. same, yeah, you do the same vagina. with, yeah, yeah, people take uh, what they call patisseries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they use that as drug absorption. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's highly absorbent. Yeah, that's why certain hormone creams, you put the cream in the lining of your vagina and it's absorbed. Mm hmm. And you're doing that with plastic and GMO cotton. <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. Uh, another thing that I found interesting uh, reading about plastics, well, not really interesting, it kind of made me a bit sad, <laughs> was, um, was about the, the microplastics in the fish. So, uh, basically how, how lots of sea life, despite the fact that it's really nutrient-dense, um, there is like a possibility that some of the flesh actually does contain contain the plastic because they they these animals they can't see the plastic and the plastic is like really abundant in the, in the, in the oceans um, and so yeah it, it kind of accumulates in their tissues apparently. Um, and so when you eat fish, there's a good chance that you're getting a healthy dose of plastic as well. And yeah. salt. Salts. So there's microplastics in salt, sea salt even, or different types of salt from the, you know, when they go through the process of drying it. And again, there's microscopic plastic in salt too. I just caught up with a tweet. Uh, there's a new paper published in Nature magazine shows that the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is twice the size of Texas, 16 times heavier than previously thought, and is 46% plastic. Yeah, I have, a, I have a little story about that. So my great-grandfather, he's 97 years old, and he's a sailor. He's sailed around the world several times, and he has seen the Pacific Garbage Patch. And this was, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Maybe he was saying that that it is so expect so covers so much space that you can't even believe it, and you would think that you could get out and walk on it, but it's not solid, and it's up to a mile deep. Hmm. And basically, they're finding those plastic gyres all over the Pacific or all over the oceans, not just in the Pacific anymore. Yeah. And it just it's because of the way that the currents are that they all kind of end up in in one spot and um living in hawaii for many years the tourist uh, cruise ships have an ordinance where they can dump trash two miles off shore uh-huh. so when you go to certain places in hawaii and there's pictures of it on sot 
that you can see when the tides change or the wet, the, the uh, currents change. Entire beaches are covered. I mean, completely covered with things like detergent bottles, toothbrushes, tampon applicators. I mean, it is the craziest thing you'll ever see. And one of the things in Hawaii, the Surfrider Foundation, they're trying to uh, eliminate straws, plastic straws. Because just Mm. think about the next time you go somewhere to eat, how many straws are used in a typical restaurant. But also these plastics, uh, like the things that hold your sodas together and stuff, they're um, choking out sea turtles. So they have all these sea turtles that have grown around these plastic rings and they're completely deformed. And it is the most disturbing thing to see because you're like, what are people doing? I mean, there's just trash. It's just trash and people don't see it. Like when you throw out your straw, you don't think this is going to end up in the ocean. It, Wasn't there a Disney movie where the one about the penguins, Happy Feet, and one of the penguins had one of those <laughs> stuck on him, those soda things on his neck? Oh. Yeah. So there was a big push, you know, cut your soda things before you throw them away and this and that. So there is awareness about it, but I think people don't realize the magnitude. And until you actually see it, like my grandfather said, you you wouldn't believe it. Like you see pictures and you think, oh, that's it. But when you see it and it's for hundreds of miles, you just realize like it goes back to George Carlin, like we're screwed. Well, there's some activist yeah. in California that wants to propose, propose a law that you cannot get a straw in a restaurant unless you specifically ask for it. And he wants to fine waiters $1,000 <laughs> for each infraction. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, he has come to that, eh? Well, they do already uh, on, on the West Coast generally charge you for bags. I don't know if they do that in many other parts of the yeah. country, but like yeah. at a store, you have to pay a quarter yeah. to get a bag. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I mean, I try, when I can remember, I try, I have cloth bags and we'll try to bring them to the store, but I have to be honest, I do not remember all the time. Um, yeah. But it's like, you know, <clears throat> how, <laughs> how effective can you be in these contexts is what I'm wondering. Like, so usually, if I forget my cloth bag, I'd rather not use a plastic bag anyway. Um, so I'll ask for a paper bag. But am I contributing a deforestation or something? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Like, so uh, there's all these little things. And they say, you know, like, you know, make a difference on the personal level and, and change your own habits. And I, I believe that that's true. Uh, but it's just, I don't know, it's hard to keep the the goal in sight because... It's so overwhelming when you start looking into this information and you see how prevalent the contaminants are. And me not using a bag is really only good for my conscience. It's yeah, not, you know, totally. It's like it's yeah. useless. I honestly think it's in the in the overall scheme of things. I think it's pretty useless. Like honestly, I don't think these kinds of things don't change at the individual level. Like you know, even if an entire state was like, "Yay, no more plastic bags." I mean, is that going to put a dent in anything? I mean, plastic bags, like what percentage of the plastic is is plastic bags? Probably very, very little. And what is one state in the, in, you know, the grand scheme of things in the entire world? Probably very, very little. Like, honestly, yeah. I think, and it's like, you know, even if you just look at plastic and how big a, pr- a part of the problem, the problem that is, it's not much. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. all these little things that kind of make people feel better, uh, you know, that they care because they're doing 
this, that, and the other thing. You know, I'm not drinking out of plastic bottles anymore. It's like it it is it isn't putting a dent in things. Like right. honestly, I oh. think that humans are just kind of like destroying everything and that's just the way it is like, very... <laughs> well Graeme in the chat yeah, just... is, share, is sharing something interesting like in Sweden they, wa uh, they wanted to raise the price of bags to about one dollar it's the one thing that people do pay attention to like where you have to pay more money so <laughs> if uh, you know if, well, if if the price of plastic you know skyrockets everybody will go back to basics you know yeah. glass <laughs> <laughs> I think and maybe you won't you forget your bag next time, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just got to be more conscious about that. Well, I think to what you said, I think the key is really your personal health. I mean, you know, like you want to maintain an eye on that and you shouldn't use plastics for that reason. But to be high and mighty and say that you're changing the world because you don't use plastic bags is retarded. Pardon my friend. But, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's the same thing like hybrid cars, like, you know, the whole thing, like all all these things that people, you know, get all kind of smug about, I, I honestly think it's doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Sorry, well, and then it doesn't break down, down <laughs> or if it does break down, it takes hundreds of years, and then it just turns into nurdles or microplastics. So it's it's not like it's leaving the environment. Plastic yeah. is forever. <laughs> is, there, yeah. is there a way we can at least just like scoop up the gyre, like the main part of it, and recycle all that, and then we'll just not make plastic for like five years? Well, there are organizations that are working plastic. on technology to do that, like creating a, a beneficial microbe to eat plastic and this, that, sure. and the other thing, you know? I, but again, the, the, the chemical companies, it's a huge, it's their business. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you get a small you... grant and you can do, you know, your pond in your backyard. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the two times the size of Texas, that's a huge undertaking. Well, I think yeah. that there was a Swedish engineer. He was from some Dutch, I think. Yeah, one of those northern European <laughs> countries. And he wanted to build this device to put into the ocean that would gather all the plastic unto it. And then from that point, you can get it all out and recycle it or do whatever with it. But I don't think that any of that has been put into practice yet. Mm -hmm. It's all just a pipe dream. As of now. I, I did see a very interesting device that, uh, so if you can picture this, if you take a cup <clears throat> and like fill your sink up with water and then submerge a cup in the water and when the lip of the cup meets the surface of the water, the water flows into the cup, right? So that concept it's this unit that they stick in the water and it has like a rounded lip around the top and then a pump underneath it. So as the water flows into it, it like it accelerates that. And then it has a, a catch that catches plastic bags and, and, you know, filters that stuff out. So you just drop these little pods all around like bays and harbors and stuff, and it will clean them up. And it's actually very interesting. So hopefully stuff like that, maybe we can help a little bit. But, but again, then what do you do with it? Do you just right, put it on land or you shoot it into outer space? I mean, no, I mean, I think <laughs> yes, the key is... Get on a rocket. <laughs> yeah, on I think the key, the key is reclaiming it, I think. But then how, you know, to educate the population on, on okay, we reclaim this plastic, then I'll throw it away again. You know, that's, that's a hard ask. I mean, that's well, going to be hard to do. Out of all of the devices or things that we use that are made of plastic how much of it is made from recycled plastic everything everything i use is recycled well, plastic. i mean a lot of it is a lot of it is but you know it's myself. not like an ethical high point 
mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. I think we're screwed. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that seems to be the general show. consensus. You can <sighs> take certain steps to protect your own health, but as far as the environment, it's jacked. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. do we have any positive things to share about it, what you can do? I know for me, I got rid of all my Tupperware, everything, yeah. and I okay. store everything in mason jars or glass, but mm. the glass jar- bowl has a plastic lid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you don't That's cook better, in plastic, like, you don't heat up your food in a microwave in a plastic container. You don't yeah. pour yeah. hot beverages in a styrofoam cup. Mm-hmm. Right. What uh, What do you guys think about silicone? I mean, I know that it's plastic based, but uh, like you know, it seems safe. How safe really is it? I've seen thin silicone fail under heat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. thick silicone doesn't. But it's like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Well, like there's I, I've all used those sil- silicone breast implants that fail. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's well supposed to be heat, heat resistant making... up to like 450 degrees or something like that, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are making, I know from working in the food industry, they're making plastic free, biodegradable, you know, forks and spoons and mm-hmm. containers. My experience with them, they're made out of corn, which is yeah. mm-hmm. most likely GMO corn, but. If you leave them in the sun, they melt. <laughs> so, yeah. not very good for as far as the whole food shipping thing, right? Because they're in a hot truck, everything melts in there. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what it really seems to come down to is like, you know, all the solutions that are put forward are basically like, like you know, all the conveniences that you have so far. Well, we're going to take those away because it's not working very well. And I think that that is a really tough sell, like you were saying, Jonathan. Like it's like it's it's hard to actually people get people on board with that. You know, mm-hmm. even the plastic bag thing when I was working in a store, like the number of people who complained about that, it was like, you know, how dare you inconvenience me? This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's I, I, I so I think it's it's a it's a really tough problem. Yeah. That's the attitude of people that makes it so like ubiquitous like <clears throat> I think we should just we should make all plastic packaging, blister packaging, and then everybody would be so annoyed that they would not use it. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but, you know, blister packages, that really thick plastic that's, like, form-molded if you get, like, a knife from Walmart or something, it's packaged. Or everything that you buy at Costco is in stuff like that. Yeah, and then you try to cut it open and you cut yourself, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I think good solutions. Erica, like you said, I think one small step you could do, um, <clears throat> and I'm not there. I have Tupperwares that I use, but I have tried generally to start using glass more, and there's no convenience difference. Um, it's actually better. It's more heat resistant. You know, you mm-hmm. can seal a mason jar if you want to can something. I mean, there's a lot more practical options there when you're using glass and metal, Um it costs a little more if you want to get your supplies, you know, but then ultimately does it really, does it really cost that much more? Cause you can use Mason jar for years if you take care of it. Well, and it's uh, funny other people's perception. So I carried a Mason jar of water to work one day 
and yeah. everyone assumed I was bringing moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moonshine. And I tried to say, well, I want to drink out of glass. And they're like, yeah, right, whatever. You just want to drink moonshine on the job or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? But it was like yeah. I was weird because sure. I had my water in a glass jar. Right. Not that they actually think you have moonshine, but that no. you're just kind of, you're kind of weird. Sure. I, I get that. Like, um, every once in a while I'll carry around iced coffee in a, in like a half pint mason jar with a lid on it. And yeah, you get like, Oh, what is that? Like an adult sippy cup? What do you got there? <laughs> <laughs> but they are making stuff like that now, but it does have a plastic outer kind of protectant. So if you drop it, you don't break it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plastic. <laughs> like I have a um, so I mentioned earlier Yeti mug. Like they make nice like stainless steel mugs, but they have plastic lids. They're allegedly BPA free. Same thing with like Hydro Flask. They make really nice little thermoses that are all stainless, you know, triple lined, all that. But then they have a BPA free plastic lid. So it's like, um, yeah. Even coming down to sealing stuff, I think that's where a lot of people come from. And then you're using, you know, it's it's not economical to use pure rubber for gaskets and stuff. So now they're using silicone for that. And, you know, I think Doug, you had a point there, which comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning about like, are humans natural? <laughs> you know, are we even, are we even supposed to be here? Cause we appear to not be able to help destroying our environment. Yeah. Well, That's the ceiling stuff too is all the about. canned goods. Mm-hmm. All yeah. the canned goods, yeah. anything canned, has a BPA sealant. Yeah. And I was reading that acidic stuff like tomato sauce, uh, it actually facilitates BPA reaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for all the stuff we're saying that you can do, it's kind of like it's in the air. It's in the tap water. Yeah. It's like, in your receipts. It's in your makeup. everywhere. It's in your, in your clothes. Makeup. In your underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Your tampons. <laughs> yeah. Baby shampoo. Yeah. Yeah. Enema bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and honestly, disrupt, like I guess. What... Sorry, Elliot. Go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, I was I was just gonna come in with some solutions. Yeah. Please. Uh, please. If, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's there's a couple things that you can do, from what I understand. Um, and I think I think someone's uh, like we are exposed to like a shitload of plastics um, every day, like as we as we've spoken about for an hour on the show. <laughs> um, but I think some people tend to accumulate them more than others based on probably several factors like genetics or whether their liver function is working properly and stuff, and whether they're overly toxic in in other ways but there there is kind of uh there's there's some positive notes that we can end the show on I've, i did some research because i was always, i was interested into understanding how the body could get rid of plastics because i was under the impression that it was difficult but it turns out that you can actually do it so there's several ways to do it i think uh first of all if someone actually suspects that they have plastic toxicity there's some really good tests there's one by uh, a lab in the u.s called great plains laboratory and they have like a toxicology profile so that tests for things like glyphosate but it also tests for things like bpa phthalates and and all 
other kinds of industrial chemicals. So I think it's a urine sample. So you can get that done and then you can get it done a couple of other places. Uh, there's one by a company called Genova Diagnostics. They're based in the US, but they're also in the UK and I believe they're in Europe. So you can do a toxicology profile with those as well. Um, or if you just want to kind of focus on getting rid of them, um, then it's important to note with phthalates anyway, phthalates are excreted um, by one of the detox pathways, which is called glucuronidation. Um, so this is when your liver essentially attaches a glucuronic acid or glucuronic acid to the to the plastic and it carries it out in the feces. Okay, so ideally, when your liver attaches this thing, this glucuronic acid to a plastic, it should go into the intestine and stay there until it gets expelled into the toilet. But one of the problems here is that many people have bacterial dysbiosis in their gut. So they have an overgrowth of specific bacteria which produce an enzyme called um, beta-glucuronidase. Uh, I personally, when I did a stool sample last year, I had like extremely high levels of this enzyme. So what this enzyme does is it basically undoes all of the work that your liver has just done. Mm. So it deconjugates this glucuronic acid from the uh, toxicant, whether it be a plastic or a hormone or whatever. And it allows the plastic or the other toxic chemical to reabsorb into your bloodstream and circulate again. So... Um, one of the things that various um, practitioners recommend is to possibly supplement with a, um, a compound called calcium deglucurate. So it, in simple, basically it inhibits this enzyme, which undoes the, the work for your liver. So if you have some gut issues, if you think that you have problems with your gut bacteria, it might be a good idea to supplement with calcium deglucurate. You can look at that. Um there's lots of information about that online uh, and so that should help your liver to be able to detox um, the, the plastics via the poo. Uh, another thing that is interesting is that there's been several bacterial strains so gut bacteria which have actually been found to um, to inhibit the absorption of BPA but also to increase the excretion of BPA. So these are bifidobacterium brev brevi and lactobacillus casei. So if you can find a probiotic, I'd imagine any good quality probiotic probably has some strains that can uh, facilitate the growth of these two bacteria. Um, typically any bifidobacterium and lactobacillus. I also think acidophilus, um, the various strains of acidophilus, they can be important as well in this regard. Um and I like to use a, a probiotic called Megasporbiotic. Um, so this isn't technically like a normal probiotic. It's a spore-based one, but I've had really good results with that. It doesn't have those bacteria, but what it does do is it, has, it does a really good job at clearing out some bacteria which aren't necessarily beneficial and that it can help to facilitate the growth of the good bacteria which can do the things that we spoke about. Um Another one, another thing, and it kind of just all of these recommendations basically come down to supporting the liver because the liver is the thing that does the work to detoxify all of these things. So um, there's various recommendations about increasing cruciferous vegetables. 
um you know like increasing sulfur content because you need sulfur to produce glutathione and all of these other uh detoxification molecules but one of those uh particularly sulfation uh so sulfation like a couple of weeks ago we had um dr stephanie senef and she was talking all about sulfate and so um it, it was shown that sulfation of bpa abolished its estrogenicity um and so this was on human breast cancer cells this was in vitro, so it wasn't actually done in the human body. But, I mean, it's interesting that when you attach a sulfate molecule to BPA, you essentially render it non-toxic. Uh, so Epsom, Epsom salts baths, uh, you know, cruciferous veg, broccoli sprouts, I, I don't know, whatever you want to do, just make sure that you've got good sulfate. Um, and another one is far-infrared sauna, or, or basically any sauna which just makes you sweat. So sweating is really important and it was shown, um, where's this study? Yeah, so I'm sure it was shown, I can't find it right here, but I think it was shown that uh, sweating, uh, one of the main excretion routes for BPA is via the sweat. So if you can do something to build up a really big sweat, I would preferably go for a far infrared sauna because of all the other benefits as well. Um, the sweating is probably a good way to get rid of the plastics. And, uh, yeah, I think that was it. That's great news, actually. I like yeah. it. Yeah, that was great. I feel a little I, more inspired. Yeah, I feel <laughs> a little bit more warm and fuzzy now. <laughs> Me too. No, it's, 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 it's awesome. That was really great. Because, yeah, what, I mean, so if we, do, if we change our habits, we're not really affecting the overall picture that much. We can affect our health. And not only that, like you just explained, you can go, you know, into your body and combat these things in a way that you facilitate their excretion, right, or neutralization in some way. Well, there was also a study that I read. It was done on mice, though, but they exposed some uh, pregnant mouse mothers to BPA, and they saw all the concomitant uh, genetic or genital malformations and low sperm counts in her male offspring. But they uh, did another follow-up study where they... um, assess the mother mouse's vitamin A status. And if she had adequate amounts of vitamin A, then the effects of BPA were not as bad. Hmm. So if you're going to have a baby, make sure your vitamin A is yeah. where it should be. Wow. Sure. Well, uh, Elliot, what was the name of that calcium compound, again, that you mentioned? Yeah, so it's called calcium deglucurate. I'll put it in the chat. Cool. Yeah. Calcium deglucurate, and it's a really interesting compound. I was taking it for a while when I had some gut issues. Um, as I said, I had this overgrowth of anaerobic bacteria, which produced this enzyme. And so a lot of the women um, who have problems with their menstrual cycle, say they get PMS or they have estrogen-related uh, sort of symptoms, uh, very often I believe that when you do a stool sample on them, you will see that there are elevated beta-glucuronidase. So this this enzyme, as I said, it basically undoes the work of the liver. So your liver works really hard to get rid of all of the shit. And then if you've got some gut bacteria down there who are basically undoing it all, I mean, that's not good stuff, you know, because it can become re- recirculated, reabsorbed, and it just puts more stress on the liver. So mm-hmm. the calcium deglucurate is, is, has been shown to be really effective 
at, at stopping that process while you're trying to normalize it's i mean again it's not a cure but it's good for mm. symptoms because mm. while you're trying to target the dysbiosis and trying to sort of fix the health of the gut um then it, it can be good to to increase the detoxification process sure well very cool so also one more uh, thing one more thing yeah, um yeah. sorry I think no. acti- activated charcoal should theoretically work. Activated charcoal is extremely negatively charged. And from what I understand, BPA, like many other sort of toxic molecules, has, has a positive charge, a very strong positive charge. So the way that activated charcoal works is that when you, when you eat it, it, it's said to draw toxins, not only from the gut, but draw um, positively charged toxins from the bloodstream as well and and other things so it's generally regarded as really good for detoxing things but um i haven't seen anything specifically about plastics but i would imagine that charcoal um should theoretically work and and activate charcoal can uh, it can um actually filter bpa say uh, externally so if you use a, a water distiller with a charcoal filter and there's bpa coming through the charcoal filter the charcoal will absorb the bpa so hmm. i would imagine that maybe it happens in the body as well but i don't know that's very cool. useful information yeah, because cool. activated charcoal is the one thing that is affordable and is worldwide available you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i wonder if clay would work the same too ben knight and Montmorelli night clay uh, same similar thing. It draw, draws out positively charged, you know, elements in the body. So that's mainly promoted for heavy metal detox. But awesome. <clears throat> All right. Well, we uh, do not have a pet health segment for today, uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and to our chat participants for using the chat. Um, so yeah. Quit using your bags. Get a cloth bag. Use mason jars. <laughs> Take all the stuff Elliot laid out there, and uh, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we, we will see you guys uh, next week. We have a few really exciting uh, interviews coming up. We'll fill you in as we go forward. Bye. 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 Bye.